Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Welcome back to this month's Open Heart Conversation Exploring the Wisdom of the Ancient Yoruba Ifa Wisdom Tradition I recently watched a video um, A Haitian priestess Mambo, Mambo Dewoti uh, she's in Haitian Voodoo. And it was a powerful clip on YouTube. I encourage anyone to Google it on YouTube, Mambo Duwoti. And I don't remember the title of it, but it, the sentiment was that God can look like me. And there's been historically so much, you know, negativity, uh, trauma, violence uh, directed towards people of African descent. And then in terms of what this practice made me realize is the power, the potency, the beauty, and the brilliance of what our ancestors were connected to. So the first thing that the tradition did is it put me in deep reverence and communion with my ancestors and not just my bloodline. When I constructed my ancestor altar, I had, and I still do, pictures of people who were very inspirational. You know, I have James Baldwin on there. I have Nelson Mandela. I have Malcolm X, Dr. King, uh, Audre Lorde, Maya, Dr. Maya Angelou, Fannie Lou Hamer, um, and people, you know, outside, you know, in terms of African uh, ancestry. But connecting with my ancestors made me realize that if they can go through what they went through and endured, then I can go through life and live life to its fullest. The second thing personally is that it helped me integrate. It helped me integrate all parts of myself to be a more authentic human being. Because going through my life, there was places where in order to be safe, I had to dial it back a little bit. So, you know, being a woman, if I was in certain spaces, I had to dial it back a little bit. Being African-American in certain spaces, I had to dial it back a little bit. You know, couldn't be too pro-woman, couldn't be too pro-black. And I'm also bisexual, and I'm in a same gender-loving relationship. So in certain spaces, I had to dial that back a little bit. And after a while, it gets exhausting dialing it back and just not letting the, the essence of my heart, the wisdom of my heart, just shine through. And so in one of the early divinations... I remember asking my first mentor, what does the tradition say about these different issues? I didn't have to ask about race. That was a given. Um, And by the way, in terms of this tradition, because I am asked this, people of all racial, cultural backgrounds practice this tradition. Practice this tradition. So there's no exclusion in terms of that. But I needed to know about women. I needed to know about sexual orientation. And he said, this tradition is about your character. 
That's what this tradition is about. It's about your character, and it is a path to self-actualization. And so walking that path, then my eyes were open, and I was able to meet people in other traditions who were also walking that path of self-actualization, and they could give me guidance. And when I told them, talked to them about my story, they could relate. And so I have mentors, not just in EFI. I have Christian mentors. I have mentors, uh, Native American, you know, indigenous. And I see the relevance and the beauty of all of it coming together. But I had to integrate in that path of integration and living without fear and full acceptance is the biggest gift that the tradition gave to me because I had to accept myself first internally versus looking for validation from other people. Do you see any correlation between the Abrahamic faiths and um, the indigenous uh, traditions? I actually did. And you know, when I made the biggest connection was ironically when we had a um, speaker come to the first year students at One Spirit's uh, Interfaith Seminary for Protestant uh, Protestantism. We talked about Jesus and the, and so this is my connection. The way that people connect with Jesus and they talked about, talk about Jesus because Jesus was an actual living being, to me is ancestor veneration. Jesus is an ancestor. Jesus, Jesus is an ancestor. Jesus was flesh. Jesus walked the earth. Jesus is an ancestor. And so to me, it's no different if someone wears a cross as a symbol. We have elekes that we wear, and I'm pulling one of them out so you can see, where we have certain beads that are blessed to different or consecrated to different Orishas. And the way that people connect with Jesus and they do certain things to commemorate the death and the resurrection, to me, that's just ancestor worship. So that's where I draw the connection. And there are people who are ordained ministers and Baptists, but there are ordained Christian ministers who also practice a variety of African indigenous spiritual practices. That was the next question. What would you say to those people who have that call and that desire to get to know their roots, but are kind of fearful and and, and see it almost as a betrayal of, let's say, the Jesus that they were raised with and genuinely love and don't want to let go of? Do they have to let go of him? Hmm. I would say no. It's because for me, it's not about letting go of Jesus. Maybe what is happening is that person who is connected to Jesus has been, Jesus has been put in a box. And maybe Jesus has been taught to that individual in a way that's too small. Because I know Christians personally, I've done divinations for them myself. I have had ordained ministers, Christian ministers sitting across from me for divination. And there's no reason that someone can't get a divination and recite a psalm from the Bible. You don't have to throw away or get rid of something to be something else unless it in some way negates, inhibits, or suppresses the essence of who you are. So if that path 
of loving and worshiping and connecting with Jesus is life enhancing and nourishing, I say keep it and keep it and continue also to connect with the Orisha as well. I don't think Jesus would have a problem with it. That's just me personally. <laughs> I don't think Jesus would have any problem with it. I don't believe that the Orishas have any problem with Jesus. That's just me. I think they're all up there like, hey, what's up? What is the, what is the spiritual practice? What is, a, um, what is a typical day in the life of a priestess? What does the spiritual practice look like? How is it incorporated into your daily life? Okay. So this is a fascinating question because it's different for everybody. Everybody has to tailor their practice to make it unique to them. And also you're dealing with the diversity of culture. So while I am practicing a tradition from Nigeria, my mentors are at who took me through the initiation process are African-Americans who were initiated in Nigeria. My first mentors here were, and then my uh, mentor in Chicago had some of um, her initiations in Nigeria. But then you bring it back here to the States and you're in the culture of the United States of America. And so the culture, to me, culture shapes practice even when these different traditions uh, come from different countries and cultures. So I can only, I'm saying all that to say that I can only even, I can't even speak for the African-American culture as a priestess. I can only tell you what I do. So here's a day in terms of DeShannon's life. I have an ancestor altar. So every day that I get up, I connect with my ancestors and I say a prayer. Uh, there's an act that we do called Bale, B-A-L-E, Bale. And it means to prostrate or something as simple as touching the ground. So let's say my ancestor altar is right here. I, it's an act of reverence. I touch the ground. I come back up. I say my prayer. And I go about my day. Uh, some people, in terms of divinations, they may do a divination for the day. I don't do a divination for the day. Um, I do a divination for the week. And I have also have a monthly ancestral ritual that I do every month that is specific divination with the ancestors. And then I also have a weekly specific prayer practice with Owumila that I do in a certain ritual with that. And so my practice is very organic in that the ancestors is the point of contact. I do something for my ori. And something from my ori is not probably as traditional as maybe some other practitioners in Nigeria or other places might connect with their ori. And remember earlier I said ori is essence, your consciousness, that divine spark. So for me, my ori may guide me to say, okay, your ori practice today is that you need to walk outside, you need to go to the Bronx River Parkway, and you need to be in meditation and do a walking meditation. That may be my ori practice for that day. So I wait, I have my things, of course, ancestor every day, my weekly divinations, my weekly uh, specific prayer ritual, because I pray every day, but this is enhanced. I have my monthly ancestor ritual, but day to day I have to be present for the moment to listen in meditation and listen to what my spirit tells me that I need for that day. And given the hectic life, 
of New Yorkers, you know, sometimes I might just have to, I mean, I don't do this, but it might just be something simple like, that. okay, I gotta go. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't do that, but I'm just trying to give you all an example that it depends on what's going on. But I know that spirits are always walking with me. Even the times that I don't pay attention and they have to get my attention to slow me down, I'm never alone, I'm never by myself. Um, I just wanted to, I was just curious, the person that gives you the divination, Yes. that person, where do they get there? How do they develop? Are they born with those qualities? Do they study it and then become some sort of, you know, higher up and then can give you divinity, uh, the divination? Great question. So let me just repeat to make sure that I have it. So you're asking that a person who actually does a divination, how are they able to basically give the divination? Are they trained? Right. Is it something that they're born with and they just have it? Mm -hmm. They're trained. Okay. <laughs> so they, they def you definitely have to be trained. Uh, you have to be initiated and trained in order to give a divination for someone. Like your baba. Say that again, dear. Your Baba, your first, the first person. Yes. Yes. So I was trained by my uh, first Baba, him and his wife. So Baba Ola and Ia Oshinsina. And then when I went through my next initiation ten years later and became an Ianifa, then I was trained by that temple as well. So yeah. So to receive further training because there's different oracle systems that people use based on the types of initiation that they have, and you have to be trained in order to do that. Because there are people who are initiated and who are priests, but not everybody gives divination. And I also took the first part when you talk about people being born with it, and then there are people who just, you know, you could sit across from them and they could tell you things about yourself that has nothing to do with an oracle system. Yes, I have a question about like our ancestors as far as reincarnation goes. Um, do you know if any ancestors actually go through the reincarnation process and come back as um, like into their same family as babies? And if so, do they choose like certain relatives or certain couples or whatever to come back through? Like how do they choose who to come back through? Thank you. So there's, we do believe in, in reincarnation and coming back. And I don't know how um, consciousness chooses who to come back to. But what happens is, is that in some of the naming ceremonies, one of the questions that is asked sometimes is whose ori is this that has returned? And so that person, uh, through divination, they can determine who that, you know, who was that? who was here in a former physical incarnation that has returned. And then sometimes in divination can reveal what is the purpose of this person's life returning. Um, you started to talk a little bit about how after you were initiated into Oshun, your perception of Oshun changed. Yes. And I was just so drawn to that. And I wondered if you could say more about it. So say more, just so I'm clear, to say more about how my perception of Oshun changed after I was initiated? Yes. yes? 
So the thing is, is that actually my perception started to change before I was initiated, and then it was just solidified after I was initiated. But as I told you all earlier, is that I was given a very surface um, picture of Oshun, that Oshun was someone who uh, was basically in the mirror all the time, you know, had to have on her makeup, wear her perfume, was a man stealer, uh, <laughs> loved I, to be the life of the, the party, and center of attention. <laughs> I mean, some of these stories are just a trip. So it was very surface and it was very vain. And I was like, that's not my personality at all. And so what happened is it also was through my work. I work uh, in the area of sexual trauma and sexuality, so I've worked with a lot of survivors, mostly adult survivors of sexual abuse, and working on um, conversations and education about the intersection of sexuality and religion. And so connecting with Oshun actually helped me to see the sacred side of sexuality that is just not based in the trauma that people experience. And so I started to see Oshun in that. I started to see Oshun more deeply in nature. And I began to link just for myself, I believe that the abuse and the pollution of the earth and specifically the waters is linked to the abuse that we allow to happen to women and children. And so that is something that, that, what I just said right there, didn't come to me until I was initiated to Oshun. So just really paying more attention to things that sustain life, that nurture life, and as well as things that uh, give birth. Hello. Hi. My name is Daniel. I want to thank United Palace and the speakers as well. Uh, it's been very stimulating the conversation. So it may be a three-part question. So what can the Black Liberation Movement, Latino Liberation Movement, learn from the Odisha? And what's the biggest obstacle in a Black community or a Latino community to sort of embrace the Odisha, maybe talking about animal sacrifice? So let me just recap. All right. Okay. The role of community, number one. Number two, Black liberation, Latinx liberation. Three, um, what, what the biggest obstacle to more of Blacks and Latinx people practicing this in particular is the concept of animal sacrifice, something that keeps... Okay, all right, so let's start with the role of community. Uh, you cannot practice this tradition uh, it, without community. Even for me, uh, my mentors, they did not... There's Okay, there's a word called ile. Ile uh, means house. And so in many Orisha communities... Uh, there, people will have elays that they were gathered in. So it's not in a, a building like this. An elay is a spiritual community where people of a specific lineage, whether it's Ifa, Lukumi, uh, Candomblé, etc., where they come together and they worship and they do rituals and give guidance. And the community usually initiates someone. So community is essential for me. Uh, my first teachers, they, they had a community, and then they scaled down a little bit. But even without having it formalized the way that they, to my understanding, it was much larger before I came onto the scene. I'm actually one of the babies of the group, and I'm no baby. Um, and still, I had the sense of family and community with them. Though it was smaller, that was still there. We would do things. We would go... Um, I think the fall equinox, we would get together, we would go sweat 
you know, and uh, at a reservation and participate, you know, in a sweat lodge. And we would get together in the fall equinox, the uh, Yemoya priestess in Queens, she would do things for the ancestors, for Ori. And though the different people that she invited were not in my intimate community with my mentors, there was still that communal feeling because she sent the invitation out and everyone come. So you need community. There are some people who decide to withdraw and go their own way sometimes once they are initiated because as some spiritual communities can be abusive uh, and not holistic. And so some people do that. And if that happens, that still doesn't mean that you can't practice in your own way. So that's the first part. The second part is about black liberation and Latinx liberation. And I'm trying to get more understanding. Do you wanna know what is the theology of that? in Orisha religions, or what, what exactly is it that you wanted to know about that? How could the uh, sort of Orishas, of course, uh, they would need answer veneration, but it's also something you get in exchange. Like you, So how you sort of bridge the Orisha to the Black liberation movement in a way that sort of is practical in, in today's contemporary society? Okay. All right, that's a great question. And that's something that I will need to, hmm, but I'm going to, give what comes to mind off the top of my head, which is not to practice in secret and to stop hiding. That remember when I was talking about dial, I was dialing it back here, dialing it back there, dialing it back here. One of the places that I would dial it back was even being a practitioner. I've been practicing for almost 17 years. And people, there are people, not because of my own omission now, because it's on my website, but people did not know that I was a priestess for years. They were shocked. You know, I didn't have my head wrapped in a long skirt. Um, I don't wear my alekes every day. I wear them when I feel like it. Um, and that has nothing to, that's just a, a personal thing. Uh, but part of it is really coming out. And I get why we hid because there has been direct, uh, you know, discrimination and bias, people um, slandering the tradition, misunderstanding it. And the same way that people have risen to uh, combat anti-blackness in different forms, you know, throughout different, um, like in media and uh, politics, we see people rising and standing up. Um, and you can say, you know, Afro-Latina as well, really, or Afro-Latinx. Latinx, for those who wonder why I'm saying that, it's because I heard uh, a prominent speaker in the sexuality field advocate, who was Latina, advocate for X to include all genders versus O or A. So I didn't make that up, just much y'all to know. Um, so even, you know, for those communities, to for people to stand up and assert, this is part of my culture, it's not less than, I deserve to be at the table like everyone else. And for me, since I'm very much involved in interfaith, I am consistently advocating for the indigenous traditions to be at the interfaith table. And if we are not included and given a seat at the interfaith table, then we need to go construct our own. We should have our own anyway, but we, you need to have everyone there. So I feel that coming out of the closet, um, really working on releasing the shame, because it is trauma that is built into years of having to hide and suppress because you could be killed for practicing these traditions, that it is the healing of that that will lead to our liberation. And then your last piece, I hope that somewhat answered uh, that second part. 
The last piece in terms of what blocks, that also has to do with the prejudice, the lack of understanding that was systematic. And um, I think that the whole part about animal sacrifice is used as something to drive a wedge. And there are other religions that do do animal sacrifice. So for those of you who don't know, animal sacrifice is a part of the practice. And as I say uh, to everyone, some people believe in it, uh, some people don't. But what has happened interestingly with this tradition is that people have made animal sacrifice and said that it's the most important central part of the tradition. And that is completely not true. Not everyone does animal um, sacrifice. And indigenously, the purpose of that is that if someone, I don't really think of something like a, I'll just say a hen, and they did divination and they said, we need to offer a hen for, uh, for, for some serious reason. There is a ritual that is done in the offering of that hen. That hen is looked at as sacred. That hen is cooked and prepared and usually most times eaten by the community for whatever meal that people are going to eat. And the thing with animal sacrifice, I say if people wear leather, uh, that's, that's an animal. If you eat meat, um, are you there? If you, if you didn't grow up on a farm, are you there when they're actually butchering the animal to prepare it to be sold in the grocery store. And the purpose of animal sacrifice, it's, it has to deal with the blood. When oxygen hits blood, that it, you know, it immediately, you know, starts to, to change and decay. So it's something that has to do with the manipulation of energy. But what happens is, is when we have groups that are on the margins and that have been oppressed, people take the one aspect of that tradition that is out of step with what the dominant culture says is okay, and they paint the whole tradition in one broad stroke. So if people can be educated about these traditions and focus more on what I have been speaking about with Rev. Arda for the past, I guess, hour or so, then I think some of that would break down the resistance the whole purpose of sacrifice, removing the whole animal aspect from it, is that the, person, the purpose of sacrifice, the way that I view it, is to participate in an act that is in an effort to make something holy and sacred. So for me, in my practice, the way that I practice is that the sacrifice might be lighting a candle and the offering of a prayer. The sacrifice might be that I am so consumed with anger that I have to go through some sort of process and maybe sit across from a spiritual counselor uh, or some other type of professional to deal with my anger and release that and sacrifice that. I may need to sacrifice my arrogance in a particular situation, sacrifice my need of being judgmental and self-righteous. And so there's a more um, broad definition of sacrifice and how we work with that in our tradition. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to you joining us again. And in the meantime, log into www.unitedpalace.org. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. 
Awaken to the beauty of the ancient Yoruba Ifa wisdom tradition with initiated priestess and interfaith minister, Ianifa Reverend Shannon Barnes Bowens. During this open heart conversation, we will ask, who are the Yoruba? What are their beliefs and practices? How have they influenced the modern world? Explore the history, philosophy, cosmology, and why many people are discovering African spirituality. This Open Heart is hosted by Reverend Arda Aitis. A libation is a water blessing that we do in many traditions, and it's no different of the Orisha traditions where we are paying homage, homage to ancestors, homage to earth. And this is something that um, is one of the most sacred prayers for me in my practice and many Orisha practitioners all over the world. So we're going to begin this way. And I'm going to start with singing a song. And I'll say the libation in Yoruba. And after I say this in Yoruba, I will give you the English translation so that you know what I just said. Oh, Fresh water, fresh water, fresh water. To freshen the path, to freshen the way, to freshen Leboye, to freshen issue. May death be no more, may evil be no more, may negativity and evil intention cease to be. We give praise to the highest of the high, the creator, supreme being who comes manifested is all of the forces of nature whom we call the Orisha. We salute the owner of this day and all Orishas from Eshu to Oshun. We salute the primordial mothers, the feminine forces of nature. We salute our sacred fathers and mothers in heaven, the mediums of the ancestors, as well as our guiding ancestral spirits. And with this last drop, I honor the spirit of my father, Ernest Cole Bowens, who recently joined the realm of the ancestors. And when we close a prayer, we say, Ashe. 
which means and so it is. And now I'm going to invite all of you to join in a song as we have called the ancestors, we've acknowledged them. And now we want to sing a song where we give praise. It's called Egungungwa, which basically means please come ancestors, ancestors come today. And then I'm going to ask you to start clapping and then Reverend Tracy on the drum is going to join in with us. So it goes a little like this. Egungungwa, yanawaneni, 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 egungungwa, yanawaneni, 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 egungungwa, yanawaneni, yanawaneni. Yana waneni, egungua. Yana waneni, yana waneni, yana waneni, egungua. Yana waneni, yana waneni, yana waneni, egungua. Seventy million African and New World people are practicing Orisha religions in some form throughout the world. The study was done in 2012. I would imagine today that number has increased significantly. Why do you think that is? Well, first, let me say that actually the number is 400 million worldwide in terms of folk and indigenous religions. And then the subset of the Orisha practitioners that you were just talking about, just like you said, is 70 million. Some people say that the number is 100 million. So it just depends on who you look at in terms of numbers, because it's kind of hard to count people who have not been counted. Uh, who have been invisible or on the margins of society as it relates to religious practice. And the reason to answer your question that I think that this number is increasing, not just in Orisha religions or African spiritual indigenous traditions, but indigenous traditions across the world, is because of a call to be more embodied, a call to be more grounded, a call to be more connected And something about our ancestors is speaking to us because a lot of us tend to sleepwalk and it's time for us to wake up. In our tradition, there's various traditions, so I want to say a few of them uh, just to give honor to the various ways and cultures in which people practice. So my tradition is Ifa, as Rev Arda explained earlier, and it originates from the culture of the Yoruba culture of Southwest Nigeria and Benin. But then there's also during the transatlantic slave trade that people landed in Cuba, they landed in Brazil, Uh, they landed all over this hemisphere to practice these traditions and connect with Orisha in different ways. In the United States particularly, I believe that probably the most practitioners are following the Lukumi tradition from Cuba. That's very strong and prominent here in I actually give so much honor to Lukumi practitioner Santeria because here those traditions were 
kept alive in this part of the country. They had to hide in order uh, to keep their practices going and merge them with some of the uh, Catholic saints. And it, because of the culture, it became its own embodied way of being. With the spirits that we call the Orishas in our traditions, the deities per se, they're known as forces of nature. And the reason that Orisha connection is so important is because it allows us a way to access our, our talents and our gifts. And so since we look at these deities as extensions of the divine and not the divine itself, we're able to find meaning in our lives by connecting with those specific energies. So to give you an example, I'm initiated first to an Orisha that is known as Oshun. And Oshun is an Orisha, an angel or a deity that is over um, fresh water, rivers, lakes. Some people associate Oshun with beauty and love and sexuality and fertility. And all of that stuff is great as well. But when I had my first divination and I was told that my Orisha was Oshun, and at first I frowned a little bit because I was given this sanitized... Um, vanity picture of this energy, what I had learned is that Oshun was actually teaching me how to love myself as I am and to love my body as it is and to be connected to it and to then spread that energy out in the world and to walk with that energy so that others may know that they have permission to do the same. So you don't necessarily get to choose which Orisha um, you're going to be initiated to it's chosen for you through divination. How does that process work? Hmm, I love that. So what happens a lot of times in our traditions when people go for a divination, or well, first I feel like I should say what divination is, just to show a hands in the audience, is there anyone um, who does not know what divination is by a show of hands? Okay, great. Thank, thank you for raising your hand. So divination in various traditions is a process by which you, you have a consultation with an ordained priest or priestess. And there's usually a specific oracle system that is used, and it's a spiritual consultation. So the person who's coming to receive a divination or a consultation may have questions that they need guidance on. I, in common language, refer to it as spiritual counseling with ritual. And so what happens is that there is a process that is specific to the spiritual tradition, and there are certain prayers and ritual where you're accessing energy in order to give the person before you guidance. So when art is asking about this divination process of discovering who one's Orisha is or one's angel or guide is, a lot of people who are familiar with Orisha religions may come in with an idea that I think that I might be a Shango person. A Shango is an Orisha in our tradition of thunder and lightning, um, can be a warrior type, but also a kingly type person. For those of you who are familiar with astrology, I refer to Shango as Leo people. So whatever your vision is of a Leo, that might be a Shango-type person. Uh, others may disagree with me who are practitioners, but that's just DeShannon's uh, connection. 
And so this you may be a person who is a Leo and who may be fiery and the life of the party and like to shine and a dynamic speaker and leader. However, you could have a divination with a priest or a priest or priestess and it may come up that ah your Risha is Yemoya. You are to you this is who is speaking up for you. And Yemoya is an Orisha, an energy, a deity that is, depending on what part of the country you're from, is a very mothering energy, an energy that gives birth. She is celebrated over the ocean to be the Orisha of the ocean in some cultures. In Nigeria, Yemoya is over a specific river, but the qualities are the same. Uh, Yemoya helps people to birth them to birth themselves to birth themselves and if someone who is a shango energy which is very fiery and hot has a consultation and it shows up that their orisha is yemoya what that probably means is there is something where they need to cool down calm down a little bit and they need that water element in order to tap the essence of their gifts so that they can manifest what they came to do this lifetime. That's fascinating. How many Orishas are there? Well, okay, so there are many, many, many Orishas and I admit that I don't know them all, Arda, and the, the reason why is, is they're considered 400 plus one on the right that are known as the, the I'll just say the positive Orisha. 200 plus one on the left that are more so known as the negative forces. So that plus one is supposed to be a category for a number of other entities that can come into manifestation here on earth. But when you say that you thought there were seven, that's because pretty much here in the West, there are seven particular Orishas that are pretty common. Um, and in Lukumi in particular, they have a ceremony, but where you can go through before you're even initiated, where you can receive um, sacred necklaces that we call alekes for Orishas, for, you know, a number of the, people may call them primary Orishas, but there's a lot more than seven is the whole point. Wow, and they are men, male and female energies. Is that right? Yes, and that's some, I feel that in this time where people are talking a lot about gender, that that can actually be debated where people uh, talk about the Orishas. But just to make it simple and to stick to some of the mythology stories that is, exist in Yoruba cosmology, we do usually refer to some of the Orishas as he, male, um, she, female, feminine, masculine. But in essence, I think that there are a growing number of practitioners, including myself, who look at Orishas as just energy. Just, you know, just energy to connect with and depending on what type of energy that we're looking to make a connection with, we may refer to that Orisha as masculine or feminine in that moment. But at the end of the day, a force of nature is just a force of nature. Absolutely. Would you share with us the creation story? Oh, yes. So there's many creation stories, but I believe I know the one that you're referring to. So I'm going to share the one that has to deal with the Orisha that I'm initiated to, which is, again is Oshun, well, one of the Orishas I'm initiated to. 
So the story goes that there is Olodumare, and Olodumare is one of the names of God in our tradition. Olodumare had given Orisha a charge to say, hey, it's time to create the earth. Let's do something, let's get it together. And this is of course the Shannon's ad libs, just so you all know. <laughs> so come on, let's do something, let's make something happen. Let's create this planet called Earth. And all of the Orishas were male, but there was one addition, and that was the Orisha Oshun. So he sent all of the male Orishas and Oshun, and he gave them all their charge and told them what they were to do and that Oshun must be included. So my assumption is maybe when this meeting happened, Oshun wasn't there, but Olodumare said, make sure Oshun gets the message because she has to go. So the male Orisha got together and decided, mm, we don't need Oshun. She's just a woman. We're pretty powerful. We got this. So the Orisha set out to form the earth. <laughs> they set out to form the earth and create the earth. And everything that they did, every time they formed it, it fell apart. It collapsed. It wouldn't come about the way that it was supposed to. So after several attempts, and who knows exactly how many attempts according to this story, they went back to Olodumare and they said, it's not working. We did what you told us to do. So Olodumare says, well, where was Oshun? And they said, well, you know, kind of shuffling feet, you know, sometimes how people look down, their parent asks them to do something and you want to look down and not admit what you did. So they admitted that they left Oshun out because basically they saw her as insignificant. And so Olodumare instructed them that they had to go and beg Oshun for her forgiveness, that they had to make offerings and beseech her to come and they had to call upon her. And so that's what they did, because Oshun being the Orisha of rivers, lakes, streams, ponds, some people say sweet water, nothing in nature can grow without that energy. So after their begging and beseeching and their offerings, Oshun came down, the water was there, things started to grow and flourish, and the earth was created. So there's a moral to the story, and the moral is very simple, that if you leave a woman out, everything falls apart. <laughs> what, um, what are the basic tenets of uh, the religion? Would you call it, is it, do you consider it a religion? Would you call it a spiritual tradition? It depends on who you talk to. Personally, I will say religion just so that people can realize that there are some systems in place. But for me personally, I refer to it as a spiritual path and a way of life because the word ephi itself means the nature of things. And so for me, it really is more a way of life. But to say that it's a religion, I feel is fine too. There are some people that would debate that. 
In terms of basic tenants, there are a few, and these I would have to say are probably pretty much standard for any African indigenous tradition, you know, throughout the continent, and certainly I believe of all of the Orisha religions as well. And the first for me, which is the most grounding and the most important, is that of ancestor reverence and ancestor communication because it is the ancestors who provide us with a code of conduct in order to aspire to. They have a level of wisdom that we don't once they transition and leave their physical bodies. What often comes up, uh, not just at One Spirit Interfaith Seminary, but other places where I've taught, is that people have different feelings about their ancestors based on people who have done terrible things and committed harm against others. And what I would say to that is even when we have ancestors that have not acted in ways that were loving or a certain code of ethics, that we still learn by observing what they did so that we know what not to do. And by making that ancestral connection, we have the opportunity to create, to tell a new story because we stand on their shoulders regardless of what they did. So if we don't like what they did in the past, we can learn from the past mistakes and make a present different choice in the future. So ancestor reverence and connection is very important. The second one in terms of the concept of the practice would be connecting with the Orishas, which we've already talked about a little bit, in order to be more in tune and in rhythm with the cycles of nature and the rhythm of nature and understand that we are just a part of it, not lord over it. Because if we were more embodied and in the flow with the connection of nature and these forces of energy that we called Orisha, we would be less likely to abuse it to abuse the water, to uh, pollute the planet, uh, to abuse animals, plant life, and each other. So the Orishas in connecting with those forces is definitely a tenant. The third would be the concept of Ori, O-R-I. Ori is, in my, in DeShannon's definition, is the divine aspect of who each and every one of us is individualized in physical form. So Ori is consciousness. It is that part of us that sees things beyond the human level. And it is that spark of the creator individualized as us that is connected to not just the creator, the divine, but all of creation in the cosmos. And so with Ori, there is an essential teaching for me personally that I live by. And that teaching is that character shapes destiny. It's a concept that we call E-Y-I-W-A Pele, P-E-L-E, Iwa Pele. So good character is extremely important. And we strive to live good character because we know that the more that we cultivate our character, the easier it is to live on purpose and to do good in the world. Would that be comparable to um, what we would traditionally call the soul? Is always Ori the soul? Hmm. Maybe. There's, there's a belief that I heard from my first mentor. I was very fortunate when I moved here. My mentors are, I have two sets of mentors. So I have my mentors here in New York, right in the Bronx, uh, who did my first initiation. And then I have my mentors in Chicago. 
um, the community that I'm also a part of there as well. And my first mentor, Baba Ola, he talked, I remember him uh, in one of his lectures speaking about how when we evolve and we incarnate from lifetime to lifetime, that we may have a different Orisha. We may show up as a different gender. Uh, we may show up as a different race even, or eth you know, different eth uh, ethnicity, but there are Ori is the same. So that essence is the same. And it made sense because we talk things in our communities, people talk about past life regressions, people talk about um, the Ori of their ancestors, the consciousness of the ancestors that still is present, that guides us today. And so when I think of Ori and soul, I do see, I do see a connection. That's something that I would have to sit with and make me go, hmm. There's something I'm very curious about. Were you born into this tradition or is it something that developed later in life for you? It developed later in life. So I was born into the Baptist tradition, good old Baptist. If you hear an accent for the New Yorkers in the room, it's because I am from St. Louis, Missouri originally, and the accent did not leave, it stayed, and I'm proud of it. I had to defend myself a lot when I came here. Not that I have issues with that now, but um, I was born into the Baptist tradition. And, um, you know, I, I mean, it was a beautiful church that I was uh, brought up in, a very charismatic preacher, and I remember the choir and I remember being a little girl sitting on my father's lap and hearing the choir sing and tears just pouring down my face, just automatically hearing the harmony of the voices. I was that moved and I probably was like five uh, sitting on my dad's lap. But as I got older, not but and, I started listening more to some of the messages and I realized at that particular church, the theology and the uh, tenets that were being passed on were just things I didn't agree with. So as I decided it was time to go back to school, go to graduate school, and I decided to come here to New York, there were two things that I was certain of. One is that I was going to find my life partner, and I did. And second, uh, that I was going to find a spiritual path that was for me. And at that time, I thought that spiritual path was going to be something else Christian, but something else more progressive, where women had a, you know, an equal footing side by side with men that was progressive on issues of sexuality and gender, sexual orientation. And that's just what I thought it would be, and it wasn't. I was led to a priest to have a divination. Hi, I'm Reverend Heather Shea, CEO and Spiritual Director here at the United Palace of Spiritual Arts in Manhattan. And we'll be back in just a minute with Reverend DeShannon. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today 